You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. Hey, welcome to Refuge Community Church. Uh, And I say that uh, through a computer screen, something we haven't done in a long time, a long, long time. Uh, but uh, this has to do with, there's multiple reasons for this. I just want to uh, thank you for whoever you are for joining us uh, online, uh, for watching with us. And uh, I just wanted to, uh, I just want to kind of explain what's going on here. Um, so basically, you know, summer months have been a little lower. That's typically uh, normal for church attendance. Uh, but um we also have uh, our, our wonderful friend, uh, Cassie, uh, who just got married yesterday. And so congratulations, Cassie. Um, yeah, and, um, and because of that, we had lots of our community surrounding her in love and being a part of that. And so we knew, like, we wanted to be able to, like, allow that celebration to take place, be, be a, you know, part of that as much as possible. And so a lot of our people are going to be there uh, you know, for this weekend, and that's that's okay. A lot of busyness, a lot of craziness, and so people were out this weekend. Like that just was the reality. We were gonna push forward, and we were excited to to like bring the service down a little bit, have less people set, have less setup, and do all kinds of stuff like that to try to to really uh, emphasize that idea that. We're all about growing with community. So when someone is celebrating, we want to celebrate with them. So we were going to like bring it down and change up the service and make it simpler. But this week, my sweet baby girl got COVID and I was supposed to preach. With all that being said, uh, we were like, this is, this is just the last straw. Uh, and so uh, had to do an online service. But thank you for joining us. Uh, again, my name is Sean Seguin. I'm one of the pastors here. If you don't know me, if you're just checking checking us out through this little video sermon uh, or through uh, our podcast or whatever, but thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening, for watching, uh, for being a part of this. Uh, we've been in this sermon series uh, throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. We're looking through this this um, this book that, honestly, I think it gets very little attention in church because there's just such a heaviness. Uh, to it, this sense of hevel—that's what you know. As Josh has mentioned multiple times, the sense of like continual striving for nothingness. Like that's the thing that the teacher of Ecclesiastes talks about. They call him Kohelet, uh, and he, he continually uh, just talks about how how uh, how much everything is pointless, striving after the wind. You know, like this over and over and over, and week after week. After week, it feels like we, it's just been being driven into us. And, and I think, I don't know about you, but for me, there's this like heaviness that you're like, oh my gosh, just let up. Thankfully, there's been a lot of gospel turn and giving a little bit of joy there. But man, this has been a heavy sermon series. And here in Ecclesiastes 9, well, I... I promise you, I'm not gonna let up, okay? Like, it's gonna be just as heavy, just as weighty, uh, so forgive me, uh, but we're gonna, but I think it's, this is gonna be really important. You'll see why as we move forward, especially, uh, I'm gonna lay out a few things. I think this will be really helpful. Before we dive in, I'd like to just go ahead and say a word of prayer, uh, prepare our hearts, and then we'll, we'll get started. God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your love that you have bestowed upon us. 
Thank you for texts that make us consider the weightiness of death, of temporality, so that we might take seriously this life that we have. I pray that today we would be moved by this text, that convicted by this text, and, and encouraged even through the sermon. Thank you uh, for your love and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I think we all experience, we've all experienced death, you know, uh, in our life. You know, like this, this, it's just a regular, it's a regular part of life, whether it's been uh, the death of a pet um, or it's the death of a loved one. The reality is all of us as humans have about 70 to 100 years, if we're lucky, you know. Um, and so like, you know, whether you have had someone close to you pass away, and, and many of us have, um, or, you know, you just know someone who had someone close to them pass away, we've all heard about death. It's regular. It's regular. And still, we don't think about it that much. We don't think, we, we're kind of like, yeah, that's normal. I kind of ignore it. It's in the background. It's, it's you know, I'm not going to think about it too much. And, and I think, for me, it becomes like, yeah, that happens. It's sad. It's hard. But it doesn't remind me as much about the temporality of all things as much as, um, as ghost towns do. I know that sounds weird. You're like, wait, where are you going here? Yeah, there's something about a ghost town that is more unsettling to me than when a person passes away. When a person passes away, it's super sad. Uh, you know, um, it's hard, it's weighty. But temporality, the reality of our existence feeling so temporary, and so, uh, so, you know, like a fleeting, you know, wind, you know, going by, like it just feels so temporary, a ghost town. And I was looking up, you know, information about different ghost towns. This is one I thought was really interesting. There was a little article, um, and I wanted to read this little, this little snippet on it. Uh, it's, uh, in, it's about a city called Bodie, California. And it's a, it, it, the article writes this, it says, like a straight up Western movie set, Bodie is one of the most famous and the largest unreconstructed uh, ghost towns in America. Established in 1859 when William S. Bodie discovered gold in the area, the original camp of around 20 miners mushroomed to some 10,000 during the California gold rush. Roughly the same population as Los Angeles. That's crazy. By 1880, the town consisted of 2,000 buildings, roughly, uh, roughly 200 restaurants. As the gold vanished, though, so did the townsfolk. By 1942, the last mine had shut down. This town was booming, filled with life. And a few small changes happened that the economy was built around. And now it's just a tourist attraction. I, you get that? Like there's, there are places that have been filled with life and are now dead. Not just individuals, not just a neighborhood that has been, you know, uh, relocated or something, but like entire towns, entire cities. And in fact, if you go back throughout history, you see entire kingdoms, empires, temporality, you know? No kingdom lasts forever. No earthly kingdom lasts forever. 
That's why the, the Egyptian Empire, the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire, the Assyrian Empire, all of them have fallen. Every empire, every kingdom has come and gone. And even though our kingdom, our empire here in the United States seems to be doing really well, it's booming, eventually the United States will come to an end if Jesus doesn't come back first, you know? Like that's the reality of the way the kingdoms of this world work. And as I consider this reality, I feel that sense of unsettledness. I don't know if you feel that. I don't know if you've taken time to think about the fact that everything comes to an end, even something as great as a nation or empire. Now that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that uh, that that these empires or nations or whatever no longer ha- have people in them or they're desolate. I mean, but it does mean that entire cultures shift uh, because, as the great philosopher from the band Semisonic wrote, every new beginning comes from some other beginnings in. <laughs> uh, you know that's actually that fr- that's closing time, but that's actually from uh, the Roman philosopher uh, Seneca. Uh, but anyway, I digress. Um, the United States too will one day come to an end. Temporality is the very nature of all kingdoms, all dynasties, empires, republics, democracies, cities, neighborhoods, and houses and families and individuals. Like that's just the end of all. Like we are all temporary. There's something about this that is just like unsettling. And Kohelet is tapping into this reality. And he really sees death as creating a kind of like chaos and injustice, hevel, you know? And even in life, injustices and randomness seem to be common. I'd like to read through our passage uh, um, slowly as we go. Uh, breaking it down piece by piece. I don't want us to minimize uh, our passage at all. I don't want us to use other passages of Scripture to relieve our pain quite yet. How often do we seriously consider the weight of death? The weight of temporality? How often do we seriously consider the weight of the randomness of injustices in our life? We hear philosophers like Nietzsche and uh, scientists like Dawkins and, and we shrug them off uh, as, if, as if there's no value in what they have to say. But right here in our sacred book, in God's word, we have an author forcing us to, to stare into the depths of despair. And if we truly value scripture, We need to allow ourselves to feel the weight of this text, to not try to escape it by pulling in other texts too quickly. Essentially, in this passage, Kohelet is saying, death is unjust and hopeless. So enjoy life when it allows, but know that even life is unjust. Death is unjust and hopeless, so enjoy life when it allows, but know that even life is unjust. Excuse me. I'm, I'm gonna dig into the darkness, into the uh, the darkness of each of these little statements, 
uh, as we go here. So this is this breakdown. The way I'm going to read, I'm going to read through piece by piece and break it down in these ways and, and throughout this statement. And it's going to be like this: Death is unjust. Then death is hopeless. Enjoy what you can, and even life is unjust. I'm going to break down those four pieces. I promise that I won't leave us there. Okay. But I want us to feel the weight of the text. So let's dive in, strap on your seatbelt, get ready, uh, take a deep breath because we're gonna get into some very, it's just dark and it's hard and it's weighty. Death is unjust. Verses one through three A. And I'm using the Christian Standard Bible if anybody wants to follow along, uh, but it's um, Ecclesiastes 9, one through three A. He says this, indeed, I took all this to heart and explained it all. The righteous, the wise, and their works are in God's hands. People don't know whether to expect love or hate. Everything lies ahead of them. Everything is the same for everyone. There is one fate for the righteous and the wicked, for the good and the bad, for the clean and the unclean, for the one who sacrifices and the one who does not sacrifice. As it is good, as it is for the good, so also it is for the sinner. As it is for the one who takes an oath, so also for the one who fears an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. There is one fate for everyone. This is an evil for all those under the sun. Death is unjust. That's what Kohelet is telling us. It doesn't matter if you are righteous or good. It doesn't matter if you're undefiled. If you're a worshiper, you make your sacrifices. You have no better hope than the wicked, the bad, the unclean, or the non-worshiper. That's what he says. Think about that. None of that is going to save you. No matter how morally upright or how righteous you are, it's not going to save you. And we have to be careful not to put our Jesus lens on yet, okay? We're not saying no one is good, no, not one. And no one can fulfill the law. So technically, that's right, you can't earn your salvation. No, that's not what Kohelet is talking about. He is saying it doesn't matter if you're good or if you're bad. It doesn't matter if you do the right thing or the wrong thing. You're all going to die, and this is evil. Like, that's it. Now, he does make a small statement here uh, that we shouldn't ignore. Kohelet is not an atheist, okay? He's not an atheist. He says, the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. So he still sees God as involved in this whole thing, but feels so lost and so hopeless and by the, by the fact that we really can't know what God does with them. We see the same fate for them all, and it's death. Ugh, this is rough. It's going to get worse. But even worse than that is, is that death, the death is, is not just the end, it's, it's hopelessness. It is the end, which makes it hopeless. We're going to read 3b through 6. In addition, 
The hearts of people are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, after they go to the dead. But there is hope for whoever joined with all the living, since a live dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead don't know anything. There is no longer a reward for them because the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their envy have already disappeared. And there is no longer a portion for them in all that is done under the sun. Like, jeez. So not only, not only is death the end for you if you are... Is, if you are righteous or not, it doesn't matter how good or bad you are. It doesn't matter how, how well you worship God or respond to him. Like it, that, none of that matters. The end is death. And in fact, that death is hopeless. And he says that madness and evil are in the hearts of humanity and death is the end. What is the point of this whole thing? Then he goes on to show that being alive is only better than death because it offers a little bit of hope, a little bit of hope. In fact, he compares this like the lion and the dog, the dead lion and the living dog. And don't, don't have, I don't want you to have in mind uh, how we think about lions and dogs today. Like you gotta think about how they think about them. Um, Cause like maybe the, that comparison doesn't make much sense to you. We're not just talking about the king of the jungle versus, you know, you, you know your pet. Um, Dogs and lions are not like Austinite, like dogs aren't like Austinite dogs. They don't go on vacation with them and get the best dog food and have birthday parties or however you, you take care of your dog and, uh, and lay with you constantly and get all the scratches. Like dogs are these, these, you know, little scavengers who come and take the scraps from your table um, and they, they kind of live off of whatever they can get from you. Um, but a lion in their time is, is, is a fierce predator, right? And yes, we think of them as fierce predators. I think often we think of them as a king of the jungle, so we think of in royalty terms, and maybe that's appropriate as well. But I think they think more of a fearful predator than, than anything when they think of a lion. And they think of this, this uh, uh, our fearless predator, and they think of a fearful uh, scavenger, you know, when you think of a, a dog. And so here you have this fearless, fearful scavenger living and this fearless uh, hunter, predator, dead. And he says like, there's more hope for this nothing powerless animal than there is for this, this animal with great power. Essentially he's saying like, even the most powerful person that has ever lived, when their end has come, they're powerless. They have no power anymore. And, and, he go, and he's just saying, like, look, eat, like, while you're alive, you got a little bit of hope. Because at least you have a few more days left, potentially. Maybe you have a few more minutes left. At least you have that. But once you're dead, it's done. And in fact, he, he, this, like, whole idea of, like, once you're dead, it's done, it, it's, it's, it's more than just, like, you're in the grave. It's like you're, you are completely forgotten. Your, your love, your strongest emotions... Your strongest feelings that you've ever had, they don't exist anymore. Nothing exists anymore. He's talking about, essentially, your non-existence. Think about that. Like, everything is gone. Your name is not remembered. And there's no hope for coming back. There's no more reward under the sun. There's no hope for coming back. 
Don't put on your Jesus lens yet. I know, I know, resurrection is good. We'll talk about it, but wait, feel it. Feel what Kohelet wants you to feel. Hopelessness. That's it, right? And it's because of all this, because death is unjust and, and, uh, and hopeless, that Kohelet comes to the next section to say, um, so enjoy what you can. This is the wisdom portion. This really is, this is like, get what you can out of this. He's like, okay, I know like all this is really sad and hard, like, but I'm going to give you a little bit of wisdom here. Verses uh, 7 through 10, he says this, Go, eat your bread with pleasure, and drink your wine with a cheerful heart, for God has already accepted your works. Let your clothes be white all the time, and never let oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with your wife you love, all the days of your fleeting life, which has been given to you under the sun, all your fleeting days. For that is your portion in life. And in your struggle under the sun, whatever your hands find to do, do with all your strength, because there is no work, planning, knowledge, or wisdom in Sheol. That's the place of the dead. It's the grave, essentially, where you're going. This is his, his little bit of wisdom right here. Do all things you do well. He's not saying like, hey, this isn't like YOLO, right? Like this isn't, yeah, you only live once, go, live it up, have a great time. No, he's saying work hard, don't make stupid decisions, be, be wise about, your, work hard, make the best decisions you can, and use this life as well as you can. Um, and so YOLO in that way, sure. Uh, use this life as well as you can. But ultimately, the, the, the idea is enjoy those little bits of joy that you get while you have them. If you have some success, enjoy it. If you earn some money, enjoy it. Take, you know, use it well. Uh, work hard. Enjoy the wife. If you, if you find a wife, if you find a husband, enjoy that. Enjoy what, whatever it is, that, that, the, the joys that you get in life. Enjoy them. Take advantage of them. Because that's all there is. Because that's all there is. So take advantage of that. That's, that is his wisdom here. This is, this is like, an, it's pretty good wisdom if, if the end is death and that's it. Just do your best in life and take advantage of it while you can. But he doesn't let up uh, with the, the darkness here. He goes in, so enjoy what you can, but he goes even further. He says, but even life is unjust. Even life is unjust. And he goes into this. He says, in verses 11 and 12, he says, Again, I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, or the battle to the strong, or bread to the wise, or riches to the discerning, or favor to the skillful. Rather, time and chance happen to all of them. For certainly no one knows time. No one knows his time. Like fish caught in a cruel net, or like birds caught in a trap. So people are trapped in evil times as it suddenly falls on them. Even when you are better qualified for that job, you might not get it. Even when you have a strong work ethic, food is not guaranteed. Even when you get that degree, you may not find a job in that field. The intelligent, the beautiful, the wise, and the most athletic will all experience defeat in their own passions and all the effort they put forth. That's the reality of it. That's the randomness of this life. There's an, there's an injustice even in this life. 
And furthermore, it, even if you, you do get what you worked for, we're not freely living and making our own destiny. We will eventually be trapped by evil times, all of us, whether that's through death or uh, other things that befall us, like birds in a snare or fish in a net, and it comes quickly and it comes unexpectedly. Just when you think things are going well for you, know that you are no better off than a cockroach who hadn't been squished yet. You may be enjoying the crumbs of success right now, but you only enjoy them in the dark. And one day the lights are gonna flip on and no matter how fast you run, you're gonna be squished. Like, that's, this is Kohelet. This is Ecclesiastes. The overarching message here uh, to this passage is that life is random, time is limited, and the only thing that is guaranteed is death. So work hard to do what you want and, wh and what you can while you can, and enjoy what you get while you have it, but know that it can all and will all come crashing down at any minute. That savings account can be drained by medical bills real quick. Uh, that house can be destroyed by a bad storm or a fire in minutes. Uh, that new car can get wrecked. That happened to us recently. It was horrible. We were still trying to finish up our uh, you know, uh, getting the title switched over. I swear, like that we wrecked, we had wrecked, and in the and after the wreck, we spent a month trying to get our title resolved just so we could get our insurance money. I digress. The point being, like, it does, like things can come and go. The stock market can crash. The economy can bust. And for you fishers, hunters, or just bug killers, right? Um, every time you take the life of another creature, remember that your life can come to an end just as randomly, just as quickly, just as unexpectedly. And this, this, is, this is a rough situation. Like, this has been a rough section. That's, that's, that's our portion of scripture that we're going to be reading today. De death is the end of us all. And so life is unjust, unfair, doesn't matter how good or bad you are. This is rough. But this isn't just the perspective of Kohelet. This is the perspective of many people today. I mean, like, when you think about it, once you become a full-on materialist, once you accept death and you say, like, that's just the way it is, like, your philosophy in life kind of has to be like this. This is actually a lot of wisdom for someone who, who thinks like this, who sees death as the very end of it all. You know, interestingly, like science tells us, like, eventually, it, you give it enough time and this universe is going to come to an end, just like all things will come to an end. Um, there's actually a 30-minute video. It's like a time lapse starting in 2019, and it's every five seconds, it doubles in speed. Uh, super interesting, super interesting. And as you watch it, it, can sh it shows you uh, from 2019 all the way to the end of time. Uh, and obviously there's a lot of guessing that goes into this, but ultimately the end is, is the end in the way things will work out if there's nothing else out there but material. And as you, as you watch this video, as I watch this video, I watched our sun become a dying star and our planet basically turn to dust. I watched all the stars in all of the galaxies fade away 
and all of the planets and all of the galaxies themselves also disappearing. And, and it, I have to say that like watching that video, taking that 30 minutes to do that and seeing this, you know, you know, trillions and trillions of whatever years go by in 30 seconds or 30 minutes, like bam, it's gone you realize how fleeting, how temporary everything is. And I have to say that that video was more unsettling to me than a ghost town. It's, it's like the bigger and more life something has, to see it come to an end for me is, is so much more unsettling. And I think it, it takes us to this place where Kohelet is, if you really consider the end of all things like that, man, it is rough. And so it, remind, it brings us to the reality of temporality and death. And we realize that the end of all things is darkness, right? So enjoy what you can while you have it. <laughs> I'm not gonna stop there though. This is one man trying to make sense of his reality. And this is wisdom literature. I wanna be clear about that. Uh, which means that, that it's intended to be weighed together with other knowledge. It's not the only information we have. In fact, we have three books that, that seem to function like wisdom literature. We have, we have Ecclesiastes, we have the book of Job, and we have Psalms. And we have these kind of like three different perspectives. Have you ever looked at, go watch the Bible Project and it, it talks about this. But this reality that like Proverbs gives us a, a hopeful picture. Proverbs gives us this hopeful picture. Uh, Job teaches us uh, about like we don't really understand what's going on, and we can't. We, and and so we can, but we can trust God. And then like Ecclesiastes is like it's all hopeless, you know. But the point is like you have to, if you want to grow wise, you have to take all of these pieces of information seriously, consider them, and then ask now how do I live in light of all of this information. That's how wisdom literature was intended to work. It wasn't supposed to be on its own telling you the end truth of all things. That's how it, it functions. And so um, just to be clear, like just because the book of Ecclesiastes teaches this, that doesn't mean just because Kohelet teaches this doesn't mean that that is the final reality for all things. This is wisdom literature. It's intended to be taken and weighed next to other pieces of wisdom literature and, and then even furthermore weighed next to the rest of the scripture. So this bleak picture isn't the only option here. And when we get to the New Testament, we see a whole new picture. We have these people with very, a very different perspective. Peter and the other apostles rejoiced, if you remember, uh, in Acts, because they got to suffer for Jesus when they were flogged for preaching the gospel. And Kohelet might be like, didn't you read what I said? Like, how would you make your life more miserable? Just stop preaching. And we have Stephen, the first martyr, and he boldly proclaims God's word, knowing that he will be killed for it. Stephen, haven't you read Ecclesiastes? Come on. Like, you're gonna die. Don't, don't, don't bring your life to an end too quickly. And even the apostle Paul goes to Rome knowing he will be arrested and is happy to be persecuted for Christ. What is wrong with these people? Haven't they read the book of Ecclesiastes? Come on. And during the first century, actually, there, were, there, were, there was a, a debate between different Jewish uh, sects. Some believed that, the, there, that there was an afterlife. Others didn't. 
there was no assurance of what was to come after death. Just different hopes, different hopes. But when this Galilean named Jesus, uh, who was born as an outsider, proclaims the coming of the kingdom and the destruction of the temple, when this man is put to death, some might wonder why he didn't just keep his mouth shut. You know? Kohelet might say, just stop, dude. But the Sadducees would wonder, like, why, why keep speaking against Rome? They're clearly our only hope. The Pharisees would, uh, would wonder, why, Jesus, why are, why are you being so disrespectful of the temple and so careless with the law? It just seems like, it seems like he's breaking the Sabbath and, and, and he's, he's doing all these crazy things. What are you doing? This is our hope. The Essenes uh, would, would see his interaction with the religious leaders in Jerusalem as, as fruitless. Though they'd probably love to hear the stories of Jesus going in there and flipping tables and stuff. Um, but ultimately, they'd see his death as inevitable and, and not really the way anyone would bring about God's kingdom. And of course, the zealots would see his death as just one more picture of Rome smashing out their, their nation and keeping, keeping uh, the Jews under their thumb. When Christ goes and he dies, the rest of the Jewish world is looking and going, well, that's it. That's it. There's no hope anywhere. Like, maybe the afterlife for the Pharisees, may, not for the Sadducees. Rome said, like, that, that's our only hope. We're not going to, like, didn't bring about the kingdom. The Zealots aren't happy. The Essenes are like, you should have been hanging out on the outskirts of town. You should have been, like, try, even trying to help out with, with Jerusalem. And Jesus dies, and they, they can't even see it. And, and in fact, you know, Paul says that it, it is, um, that Jesus' death is a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks. Why would a crucified Galilean matter to anyone after he has passed away? After he has descended into the darkness of the grave? Kohelet couldn't imagine anything further. Why would any of his followers risk their lives to tell others about this? It's because at this point in history, humanity learned once and for all that death is not the end. When Christ rose from the dead, death was robbed of its power. Are you catching this? Death was robbed of its power. The very thing that would seem to be an end has now become a beginning to something much greater. And this is why 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 10, the Apostle Paul can, can write this incredible uh, statement sharing his view now on the way we live our lives. And I want to read this, uh, so, so stick with me. It's a little bit long. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 10. He says this, For we know that if our earthly tent, if in our, if our earthly tent we live in uh, is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this tent, Desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling, since we are clothed, we will, know, we will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent, this body he's talking about, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, so, uh, so that more mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. So we are also confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. In fact, we are confident 
and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Therefore, whether we are at home or away, whether we're here or with God, we make it our, our aim to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This is Paul's wisdom literature right here. Well, Kohelet is right to force us to see the despair brought on by death. Christ opens our eyes to see beyond the grave, to find hope where there was no hope, to believe justice is coming, to believe that we will not just fade into non-existence. For those in Christ, his willingness to go to the cross will be our salvation. Whether one believed that obedience to the law or submission to the government or an uprising against the government or even simply some sort of escapism is the answer, Christ calls all of them to lay down their picture and receive his. Then he goes a step further and vindicates his picture through his resurrection. Why did I force us through this, this misery of seeing things through Kohelet's perspective? I think until you understand the power of and the ugliness of death, you will never understand and grasp the beauty and power of the resurrection. But the power of the love of God, that's, that's where the resurrection power is. Sin's power is only death. That's, that's where sin's power rests in, is death. Sin leads to death. If you lose the death, sin doesn't have any effect anymore. And so when God turns things around, his love completely transforms everything and turns it into a resurrection. The love of God is greater than your sin. And the beautiful thing is that, that, uh, that, it, that it's most clearly revealed in God's own death on the cross, in Christ's death. Once you see it, and then the power of his love through the resurrection. Your life is no longer about doing whatever you think would bring the most joy here and now, but about loving and knowing God, about serving him. And ultimately, you'll find that as you do this, that is the most, uh, most rewarding life you can possibly live and comes with great reward afterward. While Kohelet is right that without love and resurrection power of Christ, death is the end of all. Christ offers us a new vision of the future. While our world may flood and freeze over, or sun may die, we have hope. We have hope of a renewed creation, where death and darkness no longer reign. We have hope of a city that is no longer dependent upon the sun, but upon the very light of God's radiance. We have a hope of something so much greater than this world. This world will be transformed one day completely redeemed, renewed, and all things will be made right. And even now, those who have trusted in Christ have already entered into this everlasting kingdom. You have a taste of eternity even here and now. So you have the Spirit of God bearing witness in your heart to say, like, Kohelet, thank you for helping me to face the reality of temporality and helping me to see how seriously I need to take this life. I need to weigh that against the wisdom of Paul, the wisdom literature of the Proverbs, and I need to weigh that against Ecclesiastes. I need to think about how I should live, but ultimately I see now, because I know that Christ raised from the dead, that I have hope for something so much more, and I can live in light of that. That 
I think is 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 the point of why all of this is together in, in a single book so we can kind of wrestle with this and then see how important it is that we take this small amount of time that we have seriously, but also then recognizing how much Christ offers us afterward and in the midst of it all. I'm going to go ahead and close out with prayer. Um, and, and then uh, that'll be it for today. We're not going to be taking communion together as we have not been able to distribute communion cups or anything like that. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and pray and we'll, we'll close out with uh, commissioning, ascending. All right. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for the words of Kohelet who reminds us that temporality is our reality without Christ. Who reminds us that darkness is our end without Christ. And that even without, without a sure, surety of what's going on in this world, like things can seem so unjust. And yet, through Christ, we begin to see that God is working all things together for the good and that he's reshaping, reforming all of us and that we're entering into this new kingdom and, and that he's, re, uh, he's going to redeem the entire world and, and all of these things are going to be remade and there's going to be a resurrection and, there, and we're going to be able to celebrate with him. There's going to be a great feast on this earth in a sense, you know. And so, I, God, I thank you. I thank you for Kohelet's perspective. I thank you that it forces us to face the certain realities, and yet I thank you that you didn't leave us there, but you gave us the, the picture of re the resurrection life of Christ. Thank you. Help us to live in light of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith. 